Broadcasting from the Mid-Migration Outfitter Studios, this is the Finding Fur and Feathers Hunting Podcast. How much direction are you getting from the governor? Minnesota DNR had reintroduced him into this area. I don't know, maybe he didn't want me to tell the story on the show, but I'm going to tell it anyway. I I knew you were going to go there. We're going to close the entire hunting season. Oh, really? The Finding Fur and Feathers Hunting Podcast is brought to you by Onyx. Know where you stand with Onyx. By Haybale Heights on Devil's Lake. Visit haybaleheights.com for more. By Ottertail County. Find your inner otter at ottertaillakescountry.com. And by Lake of the Woods Tourism. Plan your trip to Lake of the Woods at lakeofthewoodsmn.com. Welcome to the show. I'm Brett Amundsen. Thanks for tuning in right here on this station or by watching this on YouTube, Facebook, or wherever you're wherever you're watching slash listening to this. Thank you very much for tuning in. Don't apologize for being a hunter. I hunt and always will. And that's what we're going to talk about right now is uh, we've got we've got some guests today that have spent some time west of the majority of our listening audience. In fact, one of them is still out west right now. They've had some success out there chasing big game around, and I want to get their stories because they had some unique experiences out there. So. Uh, uh, first of all, let's br- let's bring everybody on. Let's bring uh, Jason Zins is with us. Jason, how you doing? Good afternoon. Doing thanks great. For, thanks for coming on the show. You're at you're at Shields and Fargo right now, right? At headquarters. Yes, sir. You you need more mounts in that office. Uh, I'm I moved in here Monday, so it's coming. Oh, brand new office. Well, I want to ask you about that. It, if you want to talk about it, we're going to talk about your new office here later in the show. Uh, also, Kaylee. Kaylee Helgett is joining us here on the show. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Where are you joining us from today? The North Metro in my office, which is actually in my basement. So happy to be here. I love home offices. Uh, Thanks Mm -hmm. for being on the show. And uh, also Jamie Dimon, of course. Jamie, you're on the road right now, it sounds like. Yep, we're in Glendive, Montana. Montana. Cool. Can the entire hotel lobby hear all of us? at this moment pretty much but right. there's nowhere else to go <laughs> <laughs> that's all right what are you doing in montana jamie we're chasing mule deer this week nice you've uh, you've is this your second trip out to montana this year yep this is my second trip okay. first trip was for elk that was great and now we came out to chase mule deer and not so good oh it hasn't been good so far are you how, how long are you going to be out there for uh next week sometime okay so you got some (laughs) those are the best hunting trips when are you coming home ah yeah something yes when i when i shoot something (laughs) something like that i love it all right well we're going to talk about your elk trip and we'll find out how this muley trip's been going for you too um but actually kaylee i want to start with you because I think you might have had one of the most unique experiences out of all the guests here because you went, you were in Wyoming, is that right? Yeah, I was. You were on horseback. Sure was, yeah. I'd like to act like I'm an expert at that, but I certainly am not. It was a first time experience hunt for me, for sure. What made you, uh, who did you go with and whose idea was it? Okay. Good, good question. Um, it was my uncle's idea. So he had called me about a year and a half ago and said, I, I want you to come out to Wyoming and do this. I said, of 
or and what the heck I was getting myself into. So it was actually my uncle and my dad came with as well. And just to give you some background, I didn't grow up in a in a hunting family by any means. My dad does not hunt, but he came along so he could be with me for the hunt. So that was really cool. a, a special thing. And then also a coworker of theirs, um, and it was his son-in-law who owned the outfitters that we went through. So there was three guys, me, and then a guide that went. So it was pretty amazing. Who's who's that? So you knew the guy then that did it. So that's why you guys went on horseback yep. for this particular hunt. Mm -hmm. Have exactly. you ridden horses? Have you ridden horses before? Well, you know, a family vacation in Alexandria, Minnesota, when I was like seven, <laughs> you know, I don't know if that that counts. And I mean, can I share a funny story about my my horse experience? Absolutely. I'm share this. So the morning of our first hunt, so let me back up. My dad was prepped that he was going to ride the biggest horse. His name was Alfalfa. And when I say a big horse, I'm talking about like a Budweiser Clydesdale horse, like the ones you see during the Christmas commercials and for Super Bowl. And so, you know, that was a joke, like my dad doesn't have to get on and off because he's not hunting. So he's just going to stay put on alfalfa. In the morning, they screwed up the saddles. And so we're in the parking lot. We get a 30 second overview of, you know, this is what you need to do. Here's how to work the reins. Trust the horse. They know what they're doing. And Zane, who was our guide at the time, called me over to Alfalfa and said, well, this is your horse. And I said, is this some kind of cruel, sick joke that you're playing on me? And he's like, no, get on the horse. And it was like a ladder, you know, every time they had to help me up, help me off. Um, but Alfalfa was just a champ. He got me to where I needed to be. So, yeah. That's great. Um, yeah. So what I mean, did it take you a little while to get used to riding a horse through the mountains? You know, these guys, no, it didn't. You know, you just trust the horses. So it was really, so there, there's a picture of my dad. Um, it, it was really interesting when we left, you know, like any other hunter, you're up really, really early and you're going out in the dark. And so once the truck lights and the trailer lights went out in the parking lot that we were at, like you couldn't see anything. It was pitch black. And so um, the horses just know how to follow. And we followed the, we had two guides with us. And so, you know, we went up, we started at about 5,000 feet and went up to about 10,000 feet elevation um, in the pitch black. And so it was really interesting as we walked that trail back down after two of us had filled tags for that day, you know, you really see the trails that you are on and probably right. good that we didn't know it. Right. And so <laughs> these little thin trails and then 10 feet, it's like a, a big drop off. And so um, even that was just incredible. And I thought to myself as we were going up, man, if I don't fill a tag over the next five days, just this experience in and of itself is is incredible. So yeah. the horses were very good to us. I was going to ask you about that because when you're riding through the mountains, you know, I haven't, I, I've ridden horses through the Badlands in North Dakota and, and yeah, mm -hmm. you get on some buttes and there's some cliffs and some elevation, but not like being in Wyoming. And I know when you go hunting in the mountains with horses, you end up going on some trails where there are some drop-offs and, uh, you know, did, did, you didn't see any of those until it was light out or did you see some, did you go across some that you're looking at your horse? Like, come on, man. We can do this. Yeah. Well, when when Don broke, we did we were we were on some trails with some pretty steep drop offs. But for the majority of the ride up, we didn't know what we we were up against. And that's probably a good thing, because I think if I would have actually known what was happening, I would have freaked out a little bit. <laughs> um, 
and you know it, these guides just are so great with their horses and these horses just know. um and so my concern was to fill my tag and i didn't really have to worry about the horse that i was on they just they just knew what they were doing um yeah. and so yeah yeah well, the horse experience was a bonus what I've found, uh, it's similar with dog sleds too. When I've been on a dog sled or when I've been on horseback and they're going down some of the tra same trails they've been on before and you probably had a guide in the front, maybe a guide in the back or, or maybe, maybe two, maybe just one. But when those horses get in a line, they probably just follow the horse in front of them and know where they're going, I bet. Yeah. Yep. That was exactly the experience. I mean, and I kind of thought I was a cowgirl at the end of it, you know, trying to make my horse gallop thinking I knew what the hell I was doing. I didn't. Um, but yeah, I mean, they, they know what they're doing. You just got to trust the horse. They're probably thinking these humans don't have a clue, which mm. we didn't. So yeah. They've probably had worse riding them. Probably. I'm sure. Well, I hope yeah. so. I hope so. <laughs> and you filled your tag. So you shot an elk, which is awesome. Congratulations. Tell me about, tell me about the hunt. Like how many days was it? Did you see a lot of elk and then talk mm -hmm. about shooting this one right here? Yeah. So this is, um, as you're probably noticing a calf elk. Um, and so we, we had three tags, um, my uncle and our other guy that we went out with, um, got pretty big cows, but I, I begged this calf. Um, and of course they all want the meat because uh, calf elk meat is, I mean, it's super tender and really good. Real. So they were jealous. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, we weren't chasing big horns. We were, we had cow tags. Um, so actually, I mean, this is my first big game hunt. So I, I you know, really went in with no expectations. I mean, I, I would say that I was pretty anxious just because I didn't know what to expect. Um, also anxious, you know, I'm an upland bird hunter through and through. And so I'm used to being in the prairie chasing pheasants or in the grouse woods. And so um, I don't shoot a rifle. And so I had to get acclimated and comfortable with that. We had a little gun mix up. The gun that I brought out couldn't be used. And so I had to acclimate to a new gun the day before. So, you know, all those things just led to a night of no sleep. And so the, the first morning that we went up is actually when I filled my tag. And so, I mean, how lucky am I? So if mm. I were to change anything, my gosh, like, I, I don't know if I would because I was spoiled and filled my tag by 830 that morning. And so in Wyoming, the, they had some snow three weeks prior. And so the elk had moved down, mm. the snow melted, and then the elk had moved back up. And that's why we were at the 10,000 feet elevation range. And they had been glassing some elk the night before. We were following tracks, but it didn't take long for us to, um, well, we split. And so my dad and I went with one of the guides. It didn't take long for us to spot this um, calf and a cow. Um, and so we kind of rode back up, we tied up our horses and it all happened really quickly. And, you know, people talk about buck fever. I mean, yeah. I had elk fever. I was so darn nervous, you know, just like, oh. So we kind of went down about 400 yards down this little coulee and I couldn't even see the elk. The elk had disappeared from my eyesight and it was, she was tucked behind um, a tree stump. And so like directly 100 yards down from that tree stump. And so you had to kind of go around the stump to see where she was. And right behind that elk, there was a ridge with a bunch of bull elks hanging out. And so it was just like the, the most perfect scene ever. Um, and so my dad kind of tucked in the back 
So did the guide. I, I walked up to the stump. I glassed her. I got down on one knee. Um, you know, my, my, my right was probably going like that. You know, it was pretty nervous. Took a deep breath. And, you know, as a, as a hunter, like the, the biggest fear is that you're going to wound and lose an animal. Mm, um, sure. And so I kept thinking about that, you know, so if I didn't feel a tag, I was okay with that because the worst thing would be, geez, you shoot something, you make an animal suffer and you can't find it at the end. And I had a, I had a great shot, a heart shot and she was down instantly. And so, um, you know, I was just grateful for that experience, but I think e- even more, you know, you're surrounded by the Teton mountains and to turn around and see my dad's face when I shot that, I think that's a moment that I won't forget. And of course yeah. you do yeah. the prayer over, you know, the elk and you're grateful for the experience and then you get to work. So yeah. that, and that's my dad. So you can see he's a little happy. He's not a hunter, but very proud of his daughter who for some reason started hunting about 10 years ago. So that's how the harvest took place. Did you, did you clean the animal then? Did you get to gut it? I eggs are very particular, and so I was part of the process, got my hands bloody, but he was there with his axe kind of doing his thing as well. Sure. Um, and shortly after that, my uncle had, we heard some shots kind of across um, this ridge, and so my uncle had filled his tag, and so we cut down some pine tree branches and covered um, the elk with that, and that's my guide, Neil, just, you know, a straight-up cowboy, no orange on him no fancy hunting gear, just doing his thing. He was pretty incredible. Um, and we came back down and got that elk meat. And then we, we all walked down the mountain. It was like a seven mile walk down with, with the meat on the, the horses, which was just awesome too. So, you know, I haven't done a lot of hiking in the mountains or hunting in the mountains, but co- going down is a lot easier than going up. So I don't, I don't know, Brett, I, you know, the, the walk down kind of kicked my butt too. You think like, oh, this will be fine. But after about an hour and a half on these steep slopes with the mountain air, we were pooped, man. That was, <laughs> that was something else too. I mean, did I have a couple beers after that? Yeah. Yeah, I did. Well deserved. I, I do know <laughs> the, the, that angle, like your, my feet, I wore the wrong shoes, the wrong boots when I, when I, last time I did it. So my feet kept sliding down into the toe of my boots. Yes. So my, my feet got a little sore afterwards, but, uh, congratulations yeah. again. It's a pretty neat story. Yep. And, uh, I, I, I would love, I have not elk hunted yet, so I'm anxious to do it. I, I, I never thought about doing it on horseback. That would be a, I think that'd be kind of fun, but, um, that'd be an interesting element to it. Jamie, let's bring you into here. Are you, you've been elk hunting now for a few years. Are you, are you going to bring horses next time? No, I'm allergic to horses. Oh, well, that, that would make it a problem then. Yes. Uh, how many years ago did you take your first elk trip to Montana? It was seven years ago. Seven years ago? Yep. Seven years ago. And you did not shoot one the first year, right? The first year I did, but it took me I, three trips out, I think 27 days, and I finally shot a call. And then every subsequent year, though, You've shot one almost right away. Yep. Every year since I've gotten my bull on opening weekend. Yeah, that's cool. And this year was the biggest. This year was the biggest. So this year I decided since I'm turning 50, I'm going to try to get a big one and make it a special year. We uh, found some nice elk and we found them coming through a ravine the day before and the day before that. So we scouted for a few days 
and uh, made a plan and went up in the dark and waited for the herd to start coming through. And I let four smaller racks come through, big six by six that was busted. And then uh, yeah, it was great. Um, ranged him at 340, got ready, took my shot, and he went about 10 feet, and I put my scope back on it, and I could see the shot placement, and he tipped over, and the crying started. <laughs> One shot. What's, yep. what's that rifle you're using there? I have my Kimber 300 short mag. Does my Tam- mistress. Yeah, yeah. Does Tammy get <laughs> jealous about that gun? The way you talk about that gun, it makes me wonder if your wife gets jealous. Tammy bought her for me, so. Okay. She's <laughs> uh, my out of town. How much work did it go into uh, packing that animal out then? This one wasn't as bad. We were only in a mile and a half compared to normal years where I'm in five miles. So it wasn't that bad at all. Hmm. And I got a buddy out there to help me. So okay, did you have your uh, your what did we call that thing? The one wheel wonder or whatever? Did you your pack out uh, vehicle? Yeah, I had that, that with you. Yep. We, we should and, have, uh, try to put a picture of that thing in there. Tell tell everybody what you built, what that thing is. So try it's basically a, a one wheel part, uh, kind of like a wheelbarrow with a fat tire on it, and it's with saddlebags, like horse saddlebags, and it's very easy to help pack out with that. Cause you built that yourself, right? Yep. I built that and we've used it and I've had a ton of people borrow it and everybody loves it. So I'm going to try to find a picture of it while you're talking about it. How much, um, I mean, shooting an elk every year, you've had plenty of elk meat to eat then. Um, how much, how much meat you think you got off this animal? Uh, this one, I was surprised how much bigger a full grown adult elk is. It was probably 200 pounds bigger. So uh, we averaged, I think, 220 pounds of meat off this one. Jeez. And you're processing that all yourself? Yep. I mean, we normally have 70 pounds of burger. This one had 120 pounds. So it was a lot difference between a three-year-old animal and a six-year-old animal. You found it? Okay, there's the picture. There it is right there. Now that's, so you actually ordered a fat tire wheel and then built the frame? Built everything else around it and put on horse paneers and that's genius. That's very cool. So now you're back out in Montana. Did you get one of those? You can get a tag where you get an elk tag and a muley tag, right? Yep, you get a combo tag for a, a mule deer or whitetail buck or a bull elk. Okay, um, what's that? What's that run for non-resident? Uh, twelve hundred. Twelve hundred. Okay. Was it yeah. harder to get this year? Didn't they? Uh, scale back on some non-resident tags? It is harder. Uh, next year, they're going to scale back 30% of non-resident tags go to outfitters. Okay. So that All right. What? So, so the, the, and this mule deer hunt hasn't been going very well for you? The mule deer stuff, everybody I've talked to, it's probably okay. the worst they've seen in 10 years. Oh, really? What? Uh, a lot of diseases this fall, uh, blue tongue, and with the drought, the animals that didn't leave the area died. Uh, so there's very slim. Dang. Hmm. We put on over 100 miles this morning and, and seen two does. Jeez. Uh, we did see a smaller buck yesterday we passed on. Um, but this trip, I'm traveling all through Montana every two days. We go about 100 miles. 
So we're going to try some new areas. I'm going to end up up by the Missouri Breaks. So awesome. Try to. And we're staying right on Fort Peck for the last part of the trip. Oh, are you going to go chase some lake trout while you're up there? I hope. No, better not. But <laughs> it's a scouting trip this winter. I mean, how often do you get to Fort Peck, though? Come on. Well, we're going there, so this is a scouting trip. All right. Well, I'm jealous. How cool is that? Just to be able to take a couple of weeks to go to Montana and, uh, oh, we'll go here. We'll go here for a couple of days. When are you coming home? I did go whitetail. We did do whitetail in Minnesota, but I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> no, now you got to tell me about it. It didn't go well because I didn't see any pictures. I saw Tammy post no, something about, she didn't even see any birds this year? No, and, you know, every year it's gotten a little worse. Last year was horrible. Um, but this year I saw Dona Fawn through the whole season. So that's not good. <clears throat> well, where I'm at, um, I think we've, we had four, maybe four target bucks on trail camera, and I've seen at least three of them get shot by the neighbors during the gun season here. So I uh, I'm, I think I'm going to be target. <laughs> My standards are starting to get lower. Might be Ours dropped today. <laughs> might be chasing some does for the freezer now um jason you have you, your deer season however has gone pretty well so far it looks like um originally you were hunting with your son is that right yeah my son and i both had tags for our home unit this year he had a whitetail tag and i had an any antlered tag and he shot a nice whitetail let's see if we can pull he that did he uh he made a great shot about 200 yards and the buck tipped over within about 50 and he did great. I mean, the kid, this is his, his uh, second buck, I think his fourth or fifth deer overall. And he shot a bear earlier in Minnesota this year too. So he's had a great year. And this is, we should, this is uh you're hunting in North Dakota for these deer, right? Yeah. We're uh Southwest of Bismarck. Okay. Oh, that's, that's good country out there. So, okay, so he shot a bear this year. Then he shot that whitetail. And then looking at those pictures from that same trip, you got he shot a turkey too? <laughs> yeah, I had shot a coyote uh, earlier that day, and we went over to pick it up, and the turkeys were hanging out right there too. So he <laughs> shot his turkey right away. We had a great day. I guess. <laughs> Cause you, and then you shot, a, you shot a doe too then, right? Yeah, actually, I shot a doe within a half hour of him shooting his uh, buck. That's awesome. That's a good day right there. That's a busy day. I'll tell you what, man. I've had oh. not a day quite like that, but I've had a day where I've where I had I shot a nice uh, five by five whitetail in the morning. I shot my three roosters at lunch, and then I shot some ducks in the afternoon. I was also in North Dakota. I think you have to go to North Dakota for those days like that. I'm beginning to think that's a good day. Yeah. It was a, it's a great day. And the, the biggest thing is he's allergic to deer dander. So once his deer's on the ground, dad gets put to work. <laughs> of course he's alert. Dad, I'm oh. allergic. You're going to have to, you're going to have to do, work on my deer for me. Ah, oh, that's awesome. <laughs> no, I, I was, I was privy to the breakout when we found out he was allergic. So oh. I, I would not want to go through that again. So I've heard about that from some, I, that's actually pretty common that people are allergic, uh, to deer like that um what ha what happened to him uh he broke out in hives he didn't go into anaphylactic shock but his face broke out in hives and and he was just in pretty rough shape luckily one of the people we were hunting with had some benadryl and and that took care of it it did we okay. were 
we were 50 miles from Bismarck in the closest hospital. So, Oofda. Jeez. Well, I'm glad he's all right. Um, yeah. That's that's a pretty neat day. And uh, you then, so so then you shot a muley. Was that where'd you shoot the muley at? The exact same place. Oh, you did. Yeah. Yeah. We have a we of deer shack that overlooks our property, and uh, we pretty much kill every deer. The whole family shoots out of this deer shack. That's awesome. There, there are some. He did send a couple pictures from years past. Did we get those? Some muleys. You don't know. Yeah, you know, we'll see if we can find those. There's been some pretty nice mule deer taken off that property, Jason. It looks like. We'll see if we can. We'll see if we can find them. But uh, working. Did we there lose we you, go. Jason? There we go. Now you're back. All right. You shot some pretty nice deer off that property. Uh, yeah, we're. I'm extremely fortunate to have grown up here, and uh, we have about. Normally, it's about. 60% whitetails, 60% the whitetails took a pretty big hit because of the EHD breakout. Um, but the muleys, the muleys didn't seem to get affected on our land anyway. Okay. They, do they, uh, are they as susceptible as whitetails are to EHD? You know, it doesn't seem like it in our area. Uh, but, you know, on the North Dakota Bucks and Bulls site that I run, I got quite a few pictures. I think I'm up to eight now of the mule deer bucks still in velvet during the first week of deer gun hunting. And what the biologist at Game and Fish told me is that EHD lowers the testosterone in these bucks so they don't shed their velvet. Uh, so it's affecting them. Interesting. Because there, there's a story about a lot of guys were shooting bucks uh, this year later with velvet on and they were attributing that to uh, EHD in the drought. Did I read that on your, was I reading that on your side or where did I, I don't remember where I read that, I guess, but. Yeah, there was an article in the Billings Gazette actually last year that the biologist sent me and I shared it. You did. Okay. So that's where I read it then. Tell us about Andy Bucks and Bulls, by the way, because that thing, I remember when you started that, that uh, it's a Facebook page. Facebook and Instagram, correct? And it's yeah, and Instagram, of course, and it's kind of exploded. Uh, yeah, we're just under sixty-four thousand followers on Facebook and uh, under twelve thousand on Instagram. That's crazy. All right, I'm just I'm just putting that picture on uh, one of the photos on there. I just dro uh, airdropped it there, Dan. And there's one more that I'll do too. And uh, so, what made you decide to start that page, Jason? You know, as a as a Boone and Crockett and Pope and Young scorer, I get to see a lot of bigger trophies and a lot of the stuff taken on the world, you know, around the. But I wanted to share what North Dakota really does have to offer, and people just absolutely love it. They, and you know, I don't share just my story; I share the stuff that I I and my family do shoot. But I share people's trophies from all over North Dakota, buck, doe, first buck. It doesn't matter if it's, uh, if you, if you're happy and it's legally tagged, it'll get put on the site. 
Yeah, that's cool. And to give and for you to be able to share some of the uh, some of the racks that you're scoring, uh, what a cool way to do it. And then Dan, there's one. I think it's is it Annika? Anna? Scroll down a little bit, Dan. Uh, Anna, not Anna. Anna. Yeah, they, look yeah. at that deer. What Jeez. a phenomenal buck. What Man. a great buck. She you had it know. scored by the taxidermist, and it came in just over two oh four. Jeez. <laughs> Wow. North Dakota, I think when I first moved to North Dakota, I was surprised. After growing up in Minnesota and I grew up rifle hunting in northern Wisconsin, you know, you know, hardwoods, big woods, uh, chasing swamp bucks. When I moved to North Dakota and started living in the prairie, I was shocked at the size of of the whitetails that lived in the prairie, you know, that that lived in cattails and shelter belts and, you know, tall grass. It doesn't, it didn't, it, yeah. it just didn't register with me right away. And then of course, when I went out West and saw the the mule deer out there, I was, I was kind of blown away by what North Dakota has. You know, it's pockets and pockets of habitat. Um, in combination with people over the last 30 years, letting the animals grow bigger. Hmm. And That's a big it's key. really had an effect on you know we're i'm scoring more boone and crockett animals from north dakota now than i have in the last 20 years um it's a great thing that's a tough thing to deal with and i'm kind of hunting a new property here now and uh I don't really have a problem with my neighbors, but I'm at that point where we've had some pretty nice bucks shot around here. If they were given one more year, they'd, they'd be really nice, of course. And you can say that about just about any deer, I guess. But it's hard. Right. These guys have a hard time passing up on some of those deer during the gun season. And I've, I've been strictly bow hunting. So one of the deer in particular, one of the bucks I'd been hunting for a long time, a couple of months, and I would have had, had a hard time passing them up too. But part of that is because I figured they'd be getting shot by the neighbors during the gun season and I'm not faulting them for sure. it. But when you talk about your your farm, your property, and you've been shooting some really nice deer there, do you have some sort of agreement with the neighbors? Are they like-minded people? Are you spread out enough that it doesn't matter? Or have you actually gone and knocked on doors or, or you know, nowadays sent text messages or whatever, but talk to them and, and try to say, hey, let's do some quality deer management around here. Uh, we do actually the neighbors to the south, uh, he rarely pulls a trigger. In fact, he passed on one that is on my target hit list this year. (laughs) Uh, and the, you know, the neighbors to the east and the west, kind of the same thing. Um, you know, the only guys that get a pass on shooting younger animals are the first timers and the old timers. (laughs) So that's that's such a hard thing too because everybody and in minnesota i think it's maybe even worse but everybody has a different opinion we were breaking this down the other day when we were sitting around after uh, hunting one day and with minnesota i think it was five hundred and eighty thousand licenses sold or something like that in 2020 for for deer gun season so you're talking about six hundred thousand people and i I don't, I'm just going to throw this number, but I'm going to say three quarters of those probably don't hunt anything else throughout the year. This is the only time they pick up a gun. It's family tradition to go deer hunting during the gun season. It's hard to convince them to try to let some of those bucks grow or to do this or do that. Or maybe they like to make deer sticks. You know, it's completely illegal to shoot that animal. It's, it's a hard, it's a hard discussion to have with some of those people. It, it really is. Um, it, it's definitely a, a hard choice 
And, you know, a lot of people don't understand it because they are meat hunters, you know, while well, we're meat hunters too, but right. I, I shoot a doe or, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just, I, I, there's many a years where my rifle tag or, or my archer tag go unfilled. Cause you know, this year we were hunting two very specific whitetail bucks and muleys i never had anything on camera this one surprised me to be honest Hmm. i love it when new deer come into the property it's like christmas morning when you get that trail cam photo you never know what's going to happen in november the cards are all in the air right now you know Mm -hmm. the the bucks are all whipped up into a frenzy noses in the air or noses on the ground one or the other um i you shot that coyote. Speaking of eating meat, have you ever have you ever eaten coyote, Jason? No, nope, never will. <laughs> never will. Is that what you said? <laughs> you know, no. Nope, I've eaten mountain lion and bobcat, but I will never eat coyote. How is uh, how is bobcat? Uh, tastes the same as mountain lion. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've heard. Mo- I haven't had mountain lion, but I've heard mountain lion is like a pork almost. Is that is. how you describe it? Yeah, it's a very very white meat uh i've had brats and i've had backstrap and it was both mm. delicious i haven't had coyote uh yet i'll probably say i i would try it I, I just don't think there's very much meat on it i did eat timberwolf one time though and timberwolf backstrap and surprisingly oh. it was surprisingly pretty good um i'm not gonna i'm really? not gonna go out of my way to eat it again but uh we had it it was it was being <laughs> cooked up and it looked like it had a consistency of beef looked like beef it may have been over seasoned uh Corey, Corey was doing the cooking and I think he was like, well, this is Timberwolf. We're going to put a little extra salt on there. And, uh, <laughs> but it was good. I'm not going to lie. It was, oh. it was pretty good. And I, I, you know, Hey man, I'm all about eating, you know, generally eating what you shoot. Uh, I, I, sure. I hunt, I'd like to shoot big deer and big racks too, but man, I'm out there. I'm out there grocery shopping when I'm out there with a shotgun or a rifle sure. or, or my bow most of the time. So I'm all about that. I, I would do want to shoot some coyotes this winter. I probably won't throw them on the grill, but you never know. Maybe in the crock pot. Oh, maybe no. don't. We'll slow cook I've some skinned, of them. I've skinned way too many of them. It's <laughs> like, I will never eat must. I've just skinned too many of them, and it's just, it's not appealing to me in the in any way. <laughs> How about this is kind of weird. I want to put, put out, put everybody on. I want to ask this question to everybody and Kaylee, this might be a tough one for you since you just rode horses, but I've eaten enough fast food that I figure I've probably eaten horse along the way at some point, but is, have any of you ever eaten horse before or would you? Not that I know of. Yeah. <laughs> I've eaten, I mean, probably I, have. I, yeah. I spent some time in, in China and they say that they're, they use a lot of horse meat. So I'm sure that I was eating horse along the way and just chose not to acknowledge it. <laughs> right. Well, then you've probably eaten some sort of canine, I bet, too, if you're over in China. Probably, but we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, along with snake and eel and everything else. So, yeah. Did you have snake wine while you are over there? I did not have snake wine, but I, one of the mornings I got to pick my my breakfast out which was snakes in a tank and eels in a tank and they fried it in front of you and put it on your plate so how was it lovely (laughs) chewy 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 that's all i'll say yeah chewy i uh i ate rattlesnake 
and which isn't bad. I know a lot of people have eaten rattlesnake. This comes back to Corey. I don't know why uh, my weird food stories always involve Corey, but uh, he, he came over and he was hunting in South Dakota and ended up with a rattlesnake. And he and I was cooking. I don't remember what else I was cooking on the grill that night, but I was man in the grill, whatever, had a bunch of food on there. He goes, hey, cook this up. <laughs> throws, a, throws a rattlesnake on the grill for me. So oh, okay. So that was tastes uh, like chicken. Tastes like chicken. Yeah, a little bony, yeah. but uh, but it was good. It was pretty good. And alligator, like, same kind of thing. is is pretty good. Um, you know, I've uh, in in Africa, uh, zebra was on the menu after we shot them, and you know what? It was probably one of the best, if not the best, I've ever eaten. Really? What's that's yeah, got to be kind of horse-like, something like that. I would say sure looks like one, you know. I thought we were getting shut down talking about eating horse or something, Dan. What was going on there? Yeah. <laughs> we probably will. Zebra. So did they, was it like medium rare or how did they prepare zebra? Uh, what we, we had the back straps and yeah, it was medium rare. It was hmm. amazing. Cooked on an open fire. What, what else did you, was there any other wild game that you ate over there? Uh, we ate everything with Kudu, Gemsbach, Impala, Eland, uh, Heart of Beast. We ate everything we shot. Hmm. And we got Zebra? To try some of everything. Yeah, absolutely. Zebra was the best? You know, it's a tough choice, but I would say it's right up there. Number one or number two. Hmm. Man. All right. Now I'm going to want, now I'm going to have to try Zebra. We're going to Africa, Dan. Dan, did you say did you, did you say you've ate, you've eaten horse? I've had horse at uh, a pheasants forever wild game feed. Oh, they had wild wild stallion, so it wasn't like they wild took stallion. Gold. They didn't have uh, you know alpha alpha at the <laughs> the wild game feed. But, uh, it was, I don't know. It was it was meat. It uh, wasn't bad. We'll yeah. take it. So uh, it's, it, it's cooked right. It's fine. You know, so. it's all a cultural stigma. A lot of that stuff. Like, I, I don't want to go start eating dog or anything or cat. But I mean, it like it's it's literally all in people's minds. I think a lot of that, you know, and the, your what's acceptable in your in your culture, of course. And, you know, if you process wild animal right and you prepare it the right way, you can make just about anything taste pretty good. That's uh, that's been my opinion. Uh Kaylee, would if any of these guys wanted to do a horseback, or anybody watching this or listening to this wanted to do a horseback trip, what advice would you get? Would you do it again, first of all, and what advice would you give them? Um, I would, I would do it again for sure. Um, I think if I'm going to do another big game hunt, I'd like to do a DIY one and not use an outfitter or guide. Um, I, you know, for me, it was just trusting the animal. I mean, I think that that's one of the concerns that I had going in. It's like, I don't know how to ride a horse. Um, but five minutes in, I think that anxiety disappears and you're good to go and you're focused on what you're there for and that's filling your tag. So, um, I think it's incredible. You get to cover a lot of ground in a short amount of time and it's just a different experience, um, versus just, you know, boots on the ground. So, I would totally recommend it. And I mean, I know a guy who's got a horse named Alfalfa that would take good care of people. So sure. what do you want to, do you want to give him a plug? What outfitter was that? Yeah. So it was Meeks Outfitters. Um, Zane Meeks is his name and they live outside of a small town called Bondurant, 
Wyoming. So it's south of Jackson by about 20 miles, um, kind of on the Idaho border and just gorgeous country, um, a really awesome family to work with. And so, yeah, I couldn't have asked for a better experience through them. That's not anywhere near the train station, is it? By any chance, is it? Anybody that's watched Yellowstone, you'll get that reference. Uh, I love Wyoming, man. I would love to go go do a hunting trip there or Montana for that matter. Jamie, I'm sure you're seeing some some beautiful country out there. And I know I've asked you this question on the show before, but a lot of your elk hunting, I mean, you've gone out, you've, you've gone out there with some buddies um, and, and gotten to know some of the locals a little bit, but you started off just kind of going out on your own for those trips, right? Yeah, the first trip I went with some friends and then... Uh, after that, I kind of met Williams and uh, met some people out there now. So now I have it a little easier, but uh, I did it the hard way for a while. Yeah. I mean, uh, just, just kind of knowing where the public land is, I suppose, uh, on X or using a map, you probably just looked at it and said, that looks like a good place to find some elk, right? Spend some time behind the windshield driving around. Yeah, a lot of times with maps, a lot of times behind the windshield. And uh, like yesterday, I went out and my onyx wasn't working so i stopped hunting and had to rebuy it because i forgot to buy it this year oh so it, so it, it, was wor- it was working fine let's just be clear yeah. so it was operating so no, it was fine, but i didn't i didn't renew it in time so i had to come to town renew it and then i could go back hunting go back and go yeah. out there nice. so, that's fine. Well, good luck uh, on your muley excursion for the rest of your time there in Montana. Thanks for being on the show. And uh, Jason, your new office looks looks pretty good so far. You're at you're at Shields and Fargo, of course, and you guys are ex- the the headquarters. The store there is expanding. Well, the headquarters moved. We were attached to the store since that store opened in 2006, but now the headquarters moved to a different office complex further east so the store is actually knocking the walls out where our offices were and expanding what are they just uh adding more inventory can you talk about what they're going to put in the new uh, newly expanded area i could if i knew but <laughs> i don't really know <laughs> all right when's that expansion uh slated to be finished uh mid-summer next year next year okay cool yeah. well I miss I miss the Shields and Fargo. It was a cool place over there. And uh, so I hope you enjoy your new office and uh, good luck the rest of the season. And thanks for being on the show here with us today, of course. And uh, Kaylee, I appreciate you, you coming on and telling us your story, too. Congratulations on the elk. Let me know how the uh, the elk steaks taste and the elk. Oh, produ- amazing. Amazing yeah. already. So, That's- yeah, I'll keep rubbing it in, Brett. They taste okay. great. Okay, great. Thank <laughs> you. What did, did you do? Steaks? Did you do burger? What did you do with the with the meat? Well, we brought back almost 400 pounds and so, and we processed it on our own. Um, my uncle's kind of a fiend when it comes to processing, he loves it. So we cool. did a lot of burger um, and then, you know, the steaks, roasts, and then the trimming we took up, you know, and we'll get the deer sticks and the summer sausage and all of that. So yeah, I'm a, I have to buy another chest freezer because my one is full with, with birds. And so a new chest freezer for the elk. Um, has been purchased. So I would recommend a stand up. I don't know. Maybe you guys. That's what are... I, hear. I don't have a stand up. So that's that was. Definitely. I think... Yeah. yeah. Stand up freezer. I bought a new stand up this went this summer and it's the only way to go. Yeah. Yeah. I'm you a fan know? of it. Yeah. I think Jamie, I think you turned me on to the stand up freezers, actually. 
Yep, I got that one after I got mine. Yeah, <laughs> I saw Jamie's on. Oh my gosh, <laughs> I don't know how many times I've lost stuff at the bottom of the chest freezer. So I got the stand up. And uh, you know, let me ask you guys one more question before I let you go here. So I've I've got a new kind of a new processing area in my house where I've got stainless sinks and and everything, um, and some tubs and and things like that. But what I what I tend to do then is brine. Uh, my pheasants or or whatever my meat after I cut something up I brine it for a little bit in the fridge well right now it goes into my fridge in the kitchen so then like I've, I've got my food and I'm always spilling bloody water on all my whatever so I'm I'm looking for a new type of fridge basically to have in my processing area do, do you guys have any suggestions I, I thought maybe just even little dorm fridge might might just do the trick because I got to carry it downstairs and put it down in the basement and everything like that. But if you guys, you, you guys, I want a walk-in cooler is what I'd like to do. That would be ideal. But uh, you guys have any experience with like a, a cooler for your, your meat that you're processing? So I would suggest a full size uh, because I had a small fridge, but with a full size, you can fit in a lot more meat and then you can use the freezer to freeze water jugs and stuff to put in your coolers and take yeah. on trips. It's just a lot more convenient. We used it a lot this year. Um, I think I can fit four or five meat lugs in it full of meat. Hmm. So when you process, you can keep them cold. So it's, it's just way better, to, I think. Yeah, I mean, I guess I didn't really think about processing a, a big game animal and having to have all that space. I was thinking more about you know, waterfowl and birds and pheasants and things like that. But yeah, all right, we'll have to get a big one. But I'll, okay. I'll go with Jamie on that one too. Yeah, that makes sense. I don't go out and shoot a bunch of elk and mule deer every year like you do, Jamie. So I haven't had to deal with. He'll take you next year. All right, let's go. Let's go. There you go. We all heard it. All right, uh, guys. Thanks for the time today. Um, good luck the rest of the fall, and uh, thanks for being on the show. Thank you. Thank good you. to talk to you, T Bone. This has been the Finding Fur and Feathers Hunting Podcast, part of the Sporting Journal Radio family. Subscribe wherever you get podcasts or visit us at FindingFurAndFeathers.com. Black Caparl is one of Minnesota's premier waterfowl hunting locations with 50 to 100,000 geese staging annually. And Mid-Migration Outfitters offers guided duck and goose hunting around the Lac Caparl area. Call now to book your hunt or visit MidMigrationOutfitters.com. That's MidMigrationOutfitters.com. That's MidMigrationOutfitters.com for guided duck and goose hunting around the Lac Parle area in western Minnesota.